today, I'm going to start out with a story for the children. So we're going to do that first. And before we begin, though, let's uh, have prayer. Dear Father, I pray for this time here of learning that we would be able to learn what you have for us to apply it to our lives and to uh, just follow you and dig into your word and what we can learn about that today. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to have a story for the children. So the children can come up, and we're going to choose this side right here. And maybe Judson can scoot over. We can put a couple in the back. So you can come on up, whoever wants to hear the story. And I've got an object lesson for you. <clears throat> so that's going to be the first part here. Now, we're going to be a little bit tight on space. So once we fill this up, we're going to put a couple people in the back. And then the rest of you can sit on the floor right over here. Y'all want to do that? It's been a while since we... Yeah, there we go. Okay. Do you have a spot right here, Cody? Oh, there you go. Okay. All right, I have a story for you today, and we might be sitting here for a little bit, so get, get comfortable and pay attention, all right? So this is a true story. This story happened to me when I was about some of you guys' age, probably some of you older ones. And um, so this story happened quite a few years ago, probably a little over 15, yeah, probably almost 20 years ago, probably about 20 years ago. And when I was a young boy, I did not have any good way of making money because what do you do when you're like 10 years old and you just, there's just nothing, you can't go to work because you're young and you have school and all of that. So my parents uh, came up with a way that I could make a little bit of money, but it wasn't much. It was called an allowance. Maybe some of you guys have heard of that. And so if I did my chores and everything, at that time I got 25 cents per week. And that was how I made a little bit of money. And I had another way, uh, a pretty genius idea I thought of that I could make some money. One time I was passing by the washer and dryer and I looked up and right on the dryer was sitting a few coins and I thought, well, that's not normally where coins are sitting, so why are they there? And so I thought that I should find out. So I asked my parents about that and they said, well, that's if somebody leaves something left in their clothes and it comes out in the dryer. So I said, well, is that money free range or, you know, can, whose money is it? Because there's no real way of knowing whose pants it came out of, right? Although there's a 99% chance it was probably dad's, right? So, but anyway, um, so mom and dad actually had, they probably don't remember this, but they said, they said, well, if you keep an eye on it and nobody claims it for a couple of days, then yes, you can have it. So I don't know if that's the way it's set up in your house. Maybe you should talk to your parents about that, but that's how it was. So that was, uh, that was also a pretty steady income for me. <laughs> and so I, I accumulated a little bit of money, but it was still hard to get a lot of money like that, right? That was just not that, all that much money. So that brings me to what I wanted to purchase one day. Sometimes you think about something for a long time and you really want to go buy something, something special that you paid your very own money for. And I don't think this is the first thing I ever purchased, but it was pretty important to me. So I had this thing with cereal that I really, really loved cereal, a certain kind of cereal. And this particular kind of cereal, mom never bought. 
And I just couldn't believe it because it was the best kind of cereal ever, I thought. So maybe you have a favorite kind of cereal. What's your favorite kind of cereal? Any ideas? Cheerios? Okay. Honey cereal, okay. Anything else? I said honey Cheerios. Oh, honey Cheerios? Okay, we're on the Cheerios kick. So what about any other sort of cereal? I'm surprised you guys have not. This is the best cereal ever. Do you know? Oh, Lucky Charms, Rice Krispies. Yeah, okay. Maybe we should see, oh, okay, go ahead. Fruity Pebbles, okay, that's healthy. So we have, we heard one. So who likes Lucky Charms? Yeah, okay, we got a few out here still, okay. Good. It's good to know that this hasn't died as a younger generation because um, so, so I liked Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms was my favorite kind of cereal, but for good reason, mom never bought it because it was kind of expensive for the weight rating. Dad always like divided the amount of ounces per box by how much it was, and he went with the most efficient thing he could, and so we usually ended up with granola or some sort of oatmeal and, and all that, so, and it, it's not really the most healthy cereal, and um, so... That's why we just never had it. So I had Lucky Charms just a couple times in my life, probably till I was 10 years old. But it was my favorite kind of cereal. So guess what I was going to do with my money? I was going to buy my very own box of Lucky Charms. And I was so excited about this. I had it planned down to the day of when I thought I could afford it and take a certain percentage of my total. And I was going to go and buy a box of Lucky Charms. And so I did. And I was feeling real good about it. I think it was like $2 for a box. And I paid them, and I got the Lucky Charms box, and I took it home, and I was really excited about this. So to demonstrate that today, um, what happened with my excitement and everything that day, I brought some goodies with me here. So let's see what we have. Here's a bowl. Okay, it's good. And look at that. Now, you sure this isn't your favorite kind of cereal? This is pretty good. Okay, not Cheerios anymore. So, <clears throat> right here we have a brand new box of Lucky Charms. And so, you can see there the, how the cereal looks and everything. It's got the, what's the best part? These little white things? Probably the colorful things, right? That's what I thought, too. So, um, yeah, this is more expensive now. It's not $2 anymore, probably. So this is me. I came home, and I got ready to uh, take my Lucky Charms and have uh, myself a meal. I was probably going to eat it most of the day, and it was going to be great. So I paid with my very own money for that and, and this one. But So I thought maybe we could share it with you guys today, and we could have some Lucky Charms. Wouldn't that be fun? You guys would like that? Okay. So who wants to open this and pour a little bit into a bowl, and then we'll pass it around? Okay, how about you? You can come on up here. You know how to open a box of cereal, right? <clears throat> if you need help with the bag, just let me know. Okay, he's getting it. Oh, you need help with the bag? Okay. <clears throat> There we go, that opens it. All right. Okay, dump a little bit, fill the bowl up, and we'll pass it around. Wait, 
What's going on? Uh-oh. What happened? You don't want the... What is that? <laughs> Do you guys see what that is? What is it? That's because it is Raisin Bran, it looks like. <laughs> That's Raisin Bran. Well, how did that happen? Whoa. Guess what? That day that I bought Lucky Charms with my very own money and was all excited is the only time this has ever happened to me. I opened up the box, and there was Raisin Bran in the Lucky Charms box. <laughs> that is a true story. You talk about a depressed little boy. I was... I was not impressed with this, and I just about went back to the store, tried to convince my parents to take me back there and make things right, but um, I think they ended up making me eat it. So we, we had, um, so we had Raisin Bran, and it lasted a lot longer, I'm sure, than what, um, than what and it wasn't even the Raisin Nut Bran, because that's a little better, but it has nuts in it. This was just plain old Raisin Bran. At least they had raisins. You could have just got the regular bran flakes. That would have been terrible. So, <laughs> so you guys were expecting Lucky Charms to come out of this box, right? And I was, too, when I bought it, especially if you go buy it from the store. So you're right. I exchanged it out here for our example today um, because every Lucky Charms box I've opened since has had Lucky Charms in it. So I wasn't able to recreate exactly what happened. But So when you get a box of cereal... You expect that what is inside is going to be what's shown on the box. So this is a display of something. Now, did I tell you that there was going to be Lucky Charms that came out of this box? No, right? I didn't. Not that I, I, I tried not to, at least. But I did show you a box of Lucky Charms. I said the box is Lucky Charms, according to the box. But I never specified exactly what was going to come out of this box, even though I knew there was Raisin Bran in there. So the Bible has some examples of this, and there's a word that describes that. Notice, some people would say, well, maybe I lied about it. And maybe there's an argument to be made about that, but there's a different word that describes exactly what this is in our lives. And that word is called deceit, or being deceitful. It's when there is a situation or something like this where you have a package that looks very much like one thing, but it is very clearly inside something completely different. And it's actually um, born out of another word, deceit, which means to cheat somebody. So that's what we're going to talk about in the message here. So that's the example. Um, and so last call, does anybody want any of these? No? Okay, we got a couple of guys. Y'all can have some. Pass it around. And what I think we're going to do, since I left you hanging with the Lucky Charms, if it's okay with your parents... I do have some Lucky Charms out in my van, so after church, come and grab me, and if you want some, we'll go out and get some real Lucky Charms, because I don't want you to feel depressed like I did. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, that is the object lesson and the part of the story here that I wanted to share with you to get us started. So when you go back to your seats, listen to the story that we're going to talk about in the Bible, and then uh, we're going to hopefully learn a few things from that, okay? So you can go back to your seats now.
Okay, so I will never forget what happened to me that day, and it has struck me different times how much, how perfect of an example that is of um, something that can be deceitful. Now, I don't know that whoever was in the factory making this box of cereal just did that on purpose and made sure that they got under somebody's skin and that that was what they were trying to do, per se. Um, So that may be a bit flexible, but it still was deceiving what was actually in the package, and that's the point. So we're going to talk about deceit today, and there's a few stories in the Bible that, uh, that bring this out very clearly that we can learn from. <clears throat> but first, let's look at a definition of deceit. So there's uh, multiple definitions that kind of cover, cover most of it, but this is one I like um, fairly well. And it says, causing someone to believe something that is not true in order to gain some sort of advantage in that situation. So causing someone to believe something that is not true. Notice that it's not lying toward a person so that they believe something that's not true because that that would not be true. That wouldn't be a true statement anyway. But it focuses on the end goal is that they believe something that's untrue. Not necessarily what you're saying to them is untrue, although deception, uh, deceit often does include lies, but the most cunning deceit usually involves the truth, actually, and something that is not a blatant lie, but it's twisted, and at the end, the person on the receiving end is the one that believes something that's not true, and it is ultimately a lie in the end. Uh, One perfect example of that is in the Garden of Eden. I'm sure you've thought of this one right off the bat. Uh, The serpent talking to Eve was cunning and deceiving to Eve, but he did not necessarily lie to Eve about the situation in the garden, um, but was very cunning in enticing um, and caused her to believe that everything was okay to do what was actually wrong. So she was the one that took the action um, rather than the snake just outright lying to her. So a story that we're going to look at in regards to this is the story of Jacob and Rebekah deceiving Isaac. And I've got three main points today. And so I've broken this down into three main things. Number one, deceiving others. Number two, deceiving ourselves. And number three, our response to being deceived. So we'll probably spend more time on the first and last ones there, deceiving others and our response, rather than the one in the middle, but we'll touch all three. So the story is in Genesis 27 that we want to look at. Genesis 27. So I'm going to read part of this story. It's a familiar story, uh, so you can fill in some of the blanks here. But we're going to continue. We're going to start reading part of it and get an idea. Genesis 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called 
Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here am I. He said, Behold, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out in the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me a delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Come, bring to me game and, and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat and bless you before I die. Therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father that he loves. And you will bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. We'll pause right there for a second. This blessing, I did not research the full detail of this blessing, but you can get the idea right away that this was extremely important to their family, um, and that it was a high honor, and that God had a hand in it, and it was it was just a big deal. Um, probably more so than inheritance. It may have included some of that, but this was a blessing of God for prospering uh, from the father to the oldest son, and it was typically done to the oldest son. And so... Immediately, even at the beginning of the story, you get this rotten feeling just reading this story. It's like, this is so wrong. How is this justified um, that this is going on, that Rebecca has this bright idea to fool Isaac, her husband, and her, her family's involved, her children, it just looks like a, it's just going to end so badly. And uh, so we'll get to that in a bit. But it's just a terrible story of selfishness on Rebecca's side primarily. I would say she's being the most deceitful here um, with her. She was, it was her plan. Um, but then Jacob also just agreeing to go along with this. And uh, he had the opportunity to put his foot down and say, well, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but he didn't. So that brings us to one of the main points of this section of deceiving others. And that is verse 11. It says, But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and shall seem, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and him bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. So he makes a good point, but it's all hinging around the activity still happening. And it's not, it's very passive about like really pumping the brakes on the situation. It's maybe a, a little bit of an attempt to discourage his mom in this, but it's not like, no, hey, that's a terrible idea. I'm not going to do this. It's a little bit of a, of a weak uh, approach and a little bit maybe out of fear, but, but it's realistic actually because uh, his brother was built very differently than him. And so he brings that up. But the point is this, and that is that Jacob asks the wrong question. When he is faced with this situation of being very deceitful, he asks the wrong question. And the, right, the wrong question here is, 
well, here's an obstacle to get to the end that you know, we're going to have to overcome or like, is a problem. Well, the end is all wrong. Like, it's the wrong question. And the right question instead should have been in response, isn't Esau the firstborn? What does God want for our family? What is right and what is actually the right move? So what does God want? So in my mind, he starts out by simply asking the wrong question. And oftentimes that will help us um, in discerning the right decision is to ask the right question. And most times it is what does God want in this situation? Zooming out a little bit and seeing the bigger picture and putting our selfishness aside, however much we may want something like a blessing or something else, uh, what is best? So then he, the story continues. His mother said to him, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, his old, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So that was her solution. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I. Who are you now, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like Esau, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? Jacob answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the goat of his garments and blessed him. And said, See the smell of my son, as this is the smell of the field of the Lord has, that the Lord hath blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine, and let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you. As soon as Jacob had finished blessing, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob scarcely had gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, and Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He had prepared delicious food for his father, and his father said, and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat the son's game, my his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father said to him, Who are you? 
I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and ate all before you came? And I have blessed him, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. So we'll stop there for now. So it's, it's actually hard for me to read that story, honestly. It's, so, it's just so terrible. Like, what's going on? It's hard to believe that this is happening to a family and how it's just going to tear them, tear them apart. It's just it's hard to believe. But it happened, and it's amazing how it can get to that point and actually happen. And it's important for us to realize that when we have deceit and we have um, selfishness, lies, that those things can creep in and slowly over time you wake up one day and you realize that this is happening in your family or in your life. And that's where deceit is so cunning is it's all built on what we're gaining as an advantage and our goal and our eyes are set on that, that it clouds everything in between and the things we do to lead up to it um, are just terrible if you think about what you're actually doing. And now looking back and reading this story, you can just see it step by step, how horrible it it was with all the lies. And there was lies. They started coming out. Jacob had to lie to his father over and over to kind of role play and continue the thing to actually get his blessing. Um, But it all started with Rebecca's idea. And I thought about this while we were singing um, that song this morning that Luke led um, in Thy Mysterious Presence. Um, and he mentioned this in one of the verses. I'm not going to get the wording correct, I'm sure, but I, I thought about how Jacob, Jacob and Rebekah did not have that calm trust. The song talked about calm trust, strength from above, um, and being in tune with God, that calmness, that trust, where it's like, okay, you don't get the blessing. You're not the firstborn. But we, we trust God. You don't have to have this. This is for Esau, and you're going to be fine. But it's that calmness, that trust in God that was completely missing, and they had lost sight of that and tried to intervene is, is what happened. Okay, we'll come back to the two brothers um, in a bit, but that somewhat concludes number one of deceiving others. Number two, deceiving ourselves. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And Jeremiah, and I believe other places in scripture, but Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful above all else, that our very own hearts are are very deceitful above all things. And so it is possible to deceive ourselves, and typically that's actually the foundation for when we begin deceiving others. Um, And so we convince ourselves of something that it has to be a certain way, and then we begin acting out toward others to deceive others. So it typically starts in our own hearts that we are deceived. And 
So deceiving ourselves is the first step in leading us to deceive others. And that comes with us, usually that first step involves us justifying our own sin. And if we're justifying our own sin, that is in and of itself exactly what Scripture's talking about, where you are deceiving yourself. Um, you say you don't have sin, well, you're immediately deceived. That's just not, you're starting out on the wrong foot. Don't even go there, um, because that's not going to lead you anywhere, correct? Uh, it's going to take you to a life of deceit. So it starts with deceiving in our own hearts. So let's remember that our hearts have this tendency, that we have to be very in tune with what God wants for our lives and what he wants for our hearts rather than what we want. <clears throat> and you can see this. I'm going to talk a little bit about Judas Iscariot in a bit, but you can see this with Judas um, and how he deceived his own, his own self. He, he saw the money. He wanted the money. And he became so focused on what he wanted um, that his own heart, he was justifying what he was doing because he wanted to be rich and in doing so betrayed Jesus and was very deceitful. So number two, deceiving ourselves. And that, once again, is, uh, I'll just leave that verse with you guys, First uh, John 1, 8. Again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So number three, our response to being deceived. Now, this is a wide, wide one because there is a lot of different deceit that can happen to us. What I want to focus mostly on is being the recipient of the effects of deceit more than the actual deceit of ourselves. And maybe that doesn't make much sense, but I think we'll unpack it a little bit enough that it does. For example, with Jacob and Esau in this story, was Esau deceived? I would say, no, not really. He received the effects of a deceitful situation, but he was left with the result. The one who was deceived was um, Rebecca, Isaac, and Jacob. Rebecca and Jacob deceiving their own selves to start with, and then Isaac, the situation unfolding where he was tricked, he was deceived by Jacob and Rebecca. So who's, who's left with the result? Mostly falls on Esau. So to say like Esau was deceived, it, it's not quite accurate. He, he was the result, he, he bore the brunt of a deceitful situation. And that can happen in our lives, and that's what I want to bring up as a response to us being deceived or a response of the effects of deception as they affect us. And how his response, his first initial response, was bitterness and anger is what it brings out here. Uh, it says, He heard the words of his father, and he cried out with a great and bitter cry and begged him to bless him also. So that was his first response. <clears throat> so we could go down a path of how to not be deceived, um, how to guard our lives, um, and that's a sermon all of itself probably, but we're not going to talk about that as much as being the recipient of the effects of deception. 
So we're going to look at um, a little bit farther down their lives, uh, the story of Esau when he comes and meets Jacob. And I would have to double check for sure, but I believe Isaac has passed away at this time. I'd have to double check. But So the two brothers were safe to say they were at odds beforehand, but they were definitely at odds after this situation. And there, one thing that deception brings to our lives is fear. And Jacob, the Bible says he was very afraid for this period of his life, very afraid. And he was constantly looking over his shoulder he was trying to flee and hide. Um, he, he fled for a while to be protected so he didn't basically get killed by his other brother. So Esau was, was upset. So Genesis 32 and 33. I'm not going to read. It's a long story, so I'm not going to read most of it. So I'll just tell the story. And that was when um, Jacob meets up with Esau, and this may be the first time they met, actually, after the bad, deceitful story here. And we see Esau's response here and how Esau had matured and changed. Um, and this is probably one of my favorite, you all probably heard me say this, but it's probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible, how these two brothers had these problems, and then Esau's response um, and them coming together in this story. So they come close to each other. Um, both had grown older. They were successful. They had flocks and servants and quite a number of people with them, and they kind of camped their way along. And um, chapter 32, verse 13, is talking about uh, Jacob. It says he stayed the night, um, so he's camped out close to where Esau's camp was, and he took a present for his brother Esau. And it says he took 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants um, and drove them along. And he said, pass ahead of me and create a space between uh, drove to drove. So he instructed them first, when he comes out to meet you, um, where are you going? And essentially, he's creating a gift for Esau, a very substantial gift. He's trying to get on his good side um, as, they, as they meet up. And so that was kind of his plan. And then um, it continues on in chapter 33, as they come together, it says, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming to him with 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and two female servants, and he put the servants and their children in front, and Leah with her children, and Joseph, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. And the reason it explains previously why he split everybody up is if things went really badly. People started, he thought Esau was probably out to kill him, and that way some of them at least could escape, um, and some of them would bear the brunt of the attack. So he is fully prepared to die right about now. Um, he 
thinks he probably deserves to die. He probably dealt with a lot of guilt. He was very afraid. Now he's finally facing Esau for the first time. So then chapter 4, things change dramatically from this fear description to Esau. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And he said, Jacob said, The children God has graciously given to me, your servant. Then the servants drew near and their children and bowed down, and Leah likewise and her children bowed down, and last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I have met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in your sight, my lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And the story goes on a bit. Very different than what Jacob thought was going to happen. And this is what I want to focus on, is the incredible power of forgiveness that Esau shows in this story. It's just amazing how he was very hurt, he was very bitter, he was angry when this deception happened. But as he pondered it, as he grew older um, and matured, he changed, and the um, reaction then uh, was that he ran and hugged his brother and offered him forgiveness. And that needs to be our response when we are finding the effects of being deceived. Um, sometimes there's deceitful situations that we have no control over, but we're kind of caught in the middle of it. And the first reaction is to react and be angry, but it needs to be to forgive and show God's love to those people. Uh, actually, this happened recently at work. One of the employees, one of our employees was, I was meeting with him, and he was very upset, visibly upset, because there was some other employees that were taking advantage of me. And he said, I just did not sit well with me. You're being, he didn't use the word deceived, but basically they're taking advantage of you. You're getting the bad end of the deal with what they're doing. And I was aware of it. So it wasn't like a new thing to me, but I said, I know. I know they are in that particular situation, those particular ones. But I said, we need to be kind to them, even though they're doing that. Don't you agree? And he said, no, absolutely not. He's like, it's not in me to be kind to them if they're wronging you. He's like, because I respect you guys, and I care for you. Um, I'm not going to be kind to them. They're going to get what they deserve. That is what they, that's, they're always going to get that from me. And he took a lot of pride in that, that that was, that was how he responds to these things, to create justice and to make it right. And I was like, well, you're a good employee, and you do what you're told very well. And he said, oh, absolutely. He's like, you can tell me anything, and I'll do it. I respect you guys. I said, well, your task and what I'm telling you to do is to be kind to those employees who are taking advantage of me. And he instantly got dead quiet, and he said, I see what you did there. <laughs> 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 and... <laughs> 
And he said, I said, really? I mean, you are. You, you're very loyal. It's not in your grain to react this way to these people because you're seeing them wronging someone else. And I was like, I, I appreciate that, but you're being instructed right now by your manager to be kind to them, and that is your job this week. And the change in him over the last week to 10 days has been tremendous. He has shown kindness to those employees. Like, I, I was not sure how he would react, but he has risen to that task, and it has been tremendous to see the difference. And suddenly, by that example of him being kind to them when they maybe don't deserve it, and they kind of know it, they're starting to change a little bit, even in just a short amount of time, whereas his reactions of being sarcastic toward them or going after them every day about doing what's right. And he was right. Justice is a thing, but kindness and forgiveness is way more powerful. And that example of it and being like, hey, follow my example. Let's be kind. And I'm going to be kind to you. And that's the example here of Esau, um, kindness, when somebody really doesn't seem to deserve it. Forgiveness when they don't seem to deserve it. And ultimately, that builds trust and it builds relationships so much more than justice and hardness and getting even and all of those things does not build relationships. Relationships are built on trust. And what happens when trust is broken, which will happen, typically happens in some form of deception. Deception um, is a huge killer of trust, obviously, in relationships. And when somebody has existing trust and there's deception or um, going behind somebody's back or misrepresenting or lying um, in that relationship, what that, the best word I could think of to describe that is betrayal, because you have trust and then you have deception, lies, whatever it may be, and then, you, and then you feel betrayed. And that is sadly going to happen to all of us at some point. And it probably has happened to you at some point. So our response to that is what we're talking about, forgiveness and kindness, and rebuilding that trust. Not because somebody necessarily deserves that on the realm of justice, but because you have that to offer, and you are capable of doing that. <clears throat> so betrayal hurts and kills trust, but this will happen to us all at some point, and our response needs to be the response as Jesus did with what I think is the greatest example um, of betrayal of all time, and that was Judas Iscariot, back to him. And Jesus' response to Judas Iscariot, he knew that this was happening, Back at the, at the supper, he alludes to it there. Um, obviously, he knows all. He knew Judas was going to do this. But his response when Judas comes, brings the company to the garden, kisses him, the first word out of Jesus' mouth, which I, I did, this didn't come to mind. I had to look it up to be sure. But the first word out of Jesus' mouth was friend. And he acknowledged Judas as a friend. He's saying, I love you. Even though you're doing this to me, I love you. And that was a, an example that I think shocked everybody around him, um, but that is still being talked about to this day. 
He loved through the betrayal. So what can we do when we're faced with these things? It's to call on Jesus for help. We should do this because Jesus understands. He was here, and he experienced betrayal. He was in our shoes, so we must call on him for help. <clears throat> and a verse with that is 1 Peter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on contrary, bless for, for, to, those, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil. That does not build relationships. It does not build trust back up when it is broken from deceit. <clears throat> so in review, number one, deceiving others. The answer here to guard ourselves from this is to ask the right question, not as Jacob did, but to ask the right questions, and that is, what is right? What does God want? What is the honest thing to do? Number two, deceiving ourselves. Our heart is the most, the Bible says the heart is the most deceitful thing, um, or it's deceitful above all things, is what it says. So let's remember to guard your own heart, um, since it is the most deceitful, and to be aware of that. And then number three, our response to being the recipient of deception is to forgive and to love. <clears throat> so let's pray. <clears throat>